When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I've really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. So working on part one of this piece, it got me thinking about travel horror stories because part one is kind of like the mother of all travel horror stories, the ill-fated trip. There's the partner debacles, but we've all had that happen. We've all got one. Jen, what's your best travel horror story? Okay. Well, I don't know if this is the best one or not, but it's the one that comes immediately to mind. So I was 19 my friend John and I had been on the road together and a group of us were sitting in a buddy's RV in this campground of a bouldering area in Utah. It was late at night. John and I started to bicker over something, just a subtle jab here and there. But gradually the jabs turned less subtle. I walked outside. John followed me. And in the open air, our argument escalated into a yelling match. Which was strange, because at that point, I could probably count on one hand the number of yelling matches I'd gotten into with anyone other than my parents. Yelling turned to screaming, he said the wrong thing, and, well, I slapped him. (laughs) What? You slapped him? Jen, I don't think I've ever even heard you raise your voice, at least not in anger. I I know. It's the only time I've ever slapped anyone in my life. Okay, I still can't picture this, but but keep going. Well, the funny thing is, while I could probably point to the exact rock that we were standing on when all of this happened, for my life, I have no idea what we were arguing over. It might as well have been about what brand of cheese to buy at the grocery store. At that point, we'd just spent so much time together that I could have found something wrong with anything that came out of his mouth. So what happened after that? I mean, you guys are on this road trip together. What goes down next? So we spent another few days speaking to each other as little as possible. And at the end of the week, I left him with his bike, his duffel bag, $20, and a 20-pound bag of russet potatoes and drove off toward Indian Creek. After that, John and I just did not go on another road trip together. We hung out and climbed occasionally back in Portland and accepted that we just did not work well as travel partners. 
Like we said last time, Ben and Chris might have the most successful adventure partnership of all time. They do this very specific activity, exploratory adventure, whitewater kayaking, first ascents in some of the most difficult to reach places on the planet. It's their passion and it's also their job. If they want to keep doing it, keep succeeding, they're going to have to start talking at some point. The elephant in the boat is going to have to be addressed. And while the circumstances of Ben and Chris's situations are certainly remarkable, I think the fascinating thing about it is that this happens all the time. In music, you've got Mick Jagger and Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. They have a functional relationship but don't like each other, even though they've got one of the longest-running bands ever. In sports, the LA Lakers, they famously won three straight championships, something that is nearly impossible to do, while their two stars, Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, nurtured an off-court feud that was so epic... It literally has its own Wikipedia entry. Many of us have been in a comparable situation. People set aside personal grievances and tensions to create magic. We often have to do it at work, where the goal we've set demands effectively working alongside someone who we wouldn't even want to get a cup of coffee with. We do it in sports teams. I think it even starts in college with those terrible group projects that they assign. Reaching our goal demands setting aside the parts of our situations that are less than ideal. But for Ben and Chris, the stakes are pretty high. They built entire careers around these expeditions, and by extension, around their partnership. They just can't get to the end of the trip and find someone else to work with. In the last episode, Ben and Chris gave their perspectives about what made the team dynamics go sideways on the Apopores. Chris thought that Jesse shouldn't go on the trip because she'd been too sick, too close to their launch date. Ben disagreed. At the end of the day, though, the situation on that river was really a byproduct of a deeper tension in Ben and Chris's relationship, something that had nothing to do with Jesse. And that's interesting, because from the outside, I guess, after all those trips, after all that time together, we all just assumed they were really close. It's complicated. The silence between them after the trip brought up a lot of questions. Maybe they weren't really friends. Maybe they'd never really been friends. But one thing is clear. Both of them want the other person in their life. Here's Ben. It was something that wasn't just like, okay, that group goes its way and we'll go our way. It was <laughs> it was almost like a, <laughs> a marital separation between Chris and I, like the, the failing of a pretty epic partnership. Today, part two of Elephant in the Boat. We take an inside look at one of the most intriguing adventure partnerships out there. How do you pick up the pieces when things hit bottom in a friendship? You start talking. Or maybe you just call Jen. I'm Fitzka Hall. I'm Jen Alchel. And you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. My relationship with Chris is more like a brother relationship than like a best friend relationship. For as long as I've known Chris and Ben, there's always been this thing that's struck me as odd about their partnership. On the river, Ben has a reputation as intense, driven, stubborn, not always easy to get along with, the definition of type A. 
off the river, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's comically disorganized for someone who's built a career out of organizing logistically complicated expeditions. And in my experience, he's one of those rare people who's willing to bypass the surface-level conversations quickly and talk about the important things in a thoughtful, articulate, and self-critical way. From everything I know, Chris is everybody's driven and talented he's been. Just more easygoing, more soft-spoken. In all of our interactions, I've found Chris everybody's thoughtful and introspective he's been, too. Just more reserved. He thinks things through before he speaks, and he measures his words carefully. But he doesn't shy away from real conversation. Given the experience I've had with each of them and the huge amount of time they've spent together over the past decade, I would expect them to be close friends. But that's not how either of them see it. And that made sense when they first started to kayak together. Chris was 19, just out of high school, Ben was 27, and had already spent years traveling the world chasing whitewater. Outside of a mutual interest in a very particular form of kayaking, the two of them didn't share a lot of common ground. I think just that age difference and difference in life experience up to that point made our relationship very goal-oriented. It wasn't really about being buddies. Surface-level banter was as deep as we would go for years. I definitely don't fault him for that because I probably wouldn't want to sit around a campfire and talk to a 20-year-old who hasn't had all these experiences that had shaped me up to that point. A few years in, Chris realized that maybe that had changed. And since they were spending up to eight months out of a year together anyway, he figured maybe they could try to be friends. It's like, wow, we spend all this time together and do all this amazing stuff. Like, let's really be friends. And then after a few years, I just saw that it wasn't happening and maybe wasn't worth my energy anymore and really returned to the goal-oriented relationship. And I actually, I found it really relieving to be less affected by the energy of the group. It's been a lot easier for me to let little things go that probably in a closer friendship might not fly quite as well. I think that's been a really big part of being able to succeed in a lot of big goals. And I think it's one of the only reasons we've been able to do things for 10 years. Sometimes I wish I could hate you Oh, just pick up and walk away Without any obligation to read and attend to the emotional needs of a partner, their mission stayed wholly focused on the point A to point B objectives. But that also meant, over a decade later, they lacked the foundation and tools to address the interpersonal conflict that arose in Colombia. So they didn't. On a surface level, the conflict between Ben and Chris 
came up over whether or not Jessie should join the group on the river. She had been too sick to get out of bed the week before the trip. She had started to get better, but to Chris, it didn't seem like a place they could afford to take that kind of chance. There's no portaging around mosquito-borne diseases or FARC rebel groups. And there wasn't really any recourse for extraction out there. So starting at a lower level of health and fitness was just to us a recipe for disaster. When Ben told the group that if Jesse didn't go, he wouldn't go. They'd just figure out their own trip. Chris felt like he had been taken hostage for the first time. And it was really shocking to hear that ultimatum. To me, that was such a ludicrous idea. Thinking of anything going wrong with just the two of them and not being able to deal with it was not a decision that I wanted to be a part of. So it put us in a really awkward situation where we all said, okay, we'll go, and we're going to make it as good as we can. Ben understood the concern about Jesse's health, but he had gone with her to the hospital, and based on what the doctor had told them, he had confidence she would continue to recover. In his mind, the group had laid out a set of criteria she would have to meet by the time they got to the river. She would have to be able to load and unload her own boat from the vehicle, and she couldn't have any trace of a fever or of intestinal issues. Jessie had met all of those criteria, and to tell her that she couldn't get on the river after everything she had overcome just to get to the put-in, to Ben, that felt like a betrayal. I mean, you can imagine being as sick as you've ever been in your life, bedridden for seven days, recently estranged from her husband, and, and then feeling like you had overcome this freaking life-threatening illness, getting in the car, feeling better, feeling like things are happening, and then all of a sudden having the majority of the team tell you that they, <laughs> they don't want you on the trip. I just felt like it was just something that I could not do or be a part of to just all of a sudden at the last minute abandon her. I just thought there's no way I could do that. Ben also had another hope when he invited Jesse on the trip. Just months before he landed in Columbia, he had joined polar adventurers Eric Boomer and Sarah McNair Landry on a 46-day kiteboarding, skiing, and kayaking expedition across the ice sheets of western Greenland. The Greenland trip had a lot of effect on this Columbia trip because it was such an amazing experience to explore a massive chunk of territory from the seat of our kayaks, human-powered. It really confirmed to me what my goals going forward in kayaking are going to be, which is to use the kayak as a vehicle to get to these really remote places and to go out into these places for extended periods of time. Ben was also struck by the effect that Sarah had on their team. I looked at her presence on that trip as being something that was in so many ways responsible for how, how successful we were in that crossing. Not only because of her training and because of her life in pursuit of these expeditions, but also because of 
her being able to manage Boomer and I. We're both alpha males, we're both type A personalities, and to have her in between us saying, no, no, you guys both want the same thing, and it just struck me of how awesome it was having a female perspective on our trip. And in talking with Jesse, I thought that absolutely she could bring that personality to bear with this trip on the Apropores. Sometimes I wish I could hate you Ben and Chris both explained all of that to me. Their thought processes, intentions, but they couldn't seem to get any of that across to each other. So eight months after our initial interviews, I finally managed to get both of them on the phone to try to hear each other out. How long has it been since you guys got back from Colombia now? A year. Yeah, it would have been like 13 months ago we got released. Have you guys talked about what happened over there yet? Well, I've talked about it a lot. <laughs> People are very interested in it, but I don't think Ben and I have had a real good conversation about it, despite a number of attempts. Didn't seem like any of those attempts lasted too long before we both got a little bit, well, before I got frustrated. Chris, have you gotten over what happened in Colombia? I think for the most part, I have. It's been long enough. There was never really any resolution, but I think that's how some things go, and I'm pretty good at just moving forward from from things like that. How about you, Ben? Do you feel like what happened in Colombia is resolved and or do you feel like you're kind of over it or have moved on? Resolved is the Colombia situation, was there some sort of resolution as to, as to why or what? I mean, I don't think so. Yeah, definitely the manly... The stubborn side of me wants to say, yeah, it doesn't really matter. And at the end of the day, I know that we'll both be able to survive without significant resolution. But um, it's still out there. Okay, I'm going to back up. Chris, what do you love about Ben? What do I love about Ben? I love a lot of things about Ben, actually. Ben's just weird, and it's awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> weird in so many good ways. And it's like you don't sit down and talk about weather and politics and trees and mundane things with Ben. That said, we also can go like whole days or multiple days at a time without speaking when we are on good terms. <laughs> and one of the early things that I recognized in Ben that was different than anything I had seen before is that his goal wasn't just to go out to paddle for fun. It was to go out and be successful in accomplishing something and to turn that into 
the driving force behind your life. Seeing how he operated to be on the river and go on river adventures was probably the biggest thing in me directioning my life in a similar way. Ben, same question to you. What do you love about Chris? Why are you still in this relationship a decade later? <laughs> well, looking back on it, I definitely have taken a lot of things for granted about Chris. And the fact that Chris would pretty much always say yes not just reluctantly, but enthusiastically, when it just seems like nobody else would have said yes or really could have said yes. So it's, I think that's where some of the, my motivation is to try to rekindle that. <laughs> and the sense of safety and a sense of someone who's actually out there that cares about you is massive. Not only to take risks, but just to feel like you're surrounded by maybe not just a friend, but almost like family out there, especially when you're away from family and friends for months at a time. On the Apoporis, the three days when we were paddling together were my favorite days of the trip. Just. I just felt calm again and not so anxious. I mean, I guess the part that's interesting to me is I feel like I've heard from both of you a number of times that, you know, maybe you're not great at like staying in touch and knowing what's going on in each other's lives or love lives or plans for the future outside of rivers. But I don't know, Ben, listening to you talk, it sounds like there's also like a much deeper level of trust and comfort with one another that seems to just skip over the talking through the day-to-day -day stuff. Chris, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, that's... I think just with spending all this time together over the years and, and being in a lot of really difficult, tenuous, dangerous situations, I really develops that deeper trust and deeper bond and that's the most special thing that can develop over years of doing things together. At what point in your mind did things start to go wrong on that Columbia trip? Um, gosh. I don't know. I don't know if I ever really had that moment. When we started to talk about Columbia, the conversation grew predictably uncomfortable. 
halted rehashing of major plot points without a lot of real conversation. But a few minutes in, something shifted. I think I'm just beating around the bush and like I'm trying to recount in my head like what happened and the selfish side of me is trying to piece it together in a way that justifies what happened and maybe still missing the point of some kind of uh, resolution and I don't know it's just I don't know if there is like a really cut and dry like resolution to this honestly like first of all we're not static people you know we got together at a point when Chris was what 20 or 21 throwing a a handy cam that he borrowed from me in a bag with like a sandwich and sand <laughs> and me being sort of a semi-professional to the point where we are now of him being absolutely a professional cinematographer and maybe me going through a bit of a midlife crisis approaching 40. So there's that too, you know? We don't just get together on the same terms. Like every time is different and every time there are mistakes made. I'm trying to figure out, I don't even know what trying to figure it out, how not to let that happen again or to just try to sit here and listen to the other person's side. I think that they're both aspects to coming to a resolution. One is like understanding where the other person was coming from and their intentions, even if you don't agree with them. And then I think the second piece is like, okay, what do we do in the future to avoid having it come to this? Yeah. I mean, looking back on it, there was some things that that certainly I did that coming into it, I had agreed in my own mind that I wasn't going to do. Like having an intimate relationship, having that relationship took me away from focusing on the broader group. And um, my perception of what was actually happening could have been very easily jaded by that relationship or my selfish desire to experience and to tell the story of overcoming the odds and seeing this what was already an epic expedition being accomplished by I hate to say it someone at first glance who had no business being there being bedridden for a week prior to the trip I mean it really was this crazy success story that I had fantasized about. For me, it's really interesting to hear that because one of the biggest questions that I've had this whole time and haven't really been able to get to in, in discussion is what was your perspective, Ben? You know, when I've asked that question before, Ben, you've told me what happened and you've told me what you did and what I did and what choices you gave us in moving forward with what you just described now it makes your perspective pretty clear that you were just very positive about jesse's state and her involvement on the trip you saw that as this comeback story and i guess that's i think goes a long way in legitimizing a lot of actions based on that perspective 
whereas my perspective was pretty much totally opposite. Ben, are there things that you still don't understand about where Chris was coming from on that trip, or are there questions that you don't feel like you've got answers to from him? Um, oh, man. You know, I, I do understand where he's coming from, and I think that something that in this conversation and, and just thinking about it, I've been more aware of is that I was at fault. You know, I was complicit in certainly a lack of communication. Chris, do you have any questions for Ben or things that you're still not clear on from what happened in Colombia? Um, I guess I have a couple, like, was Jesse able to pull her own weight, like paddle and keep up? Yeah. I mean, at least from my point of view, it was a really hard trip. And she really impressed me of how strong of a paddler she is. Not only did she like survive the trip, but, you know, paddling in the Southeast prepared her for this trip. She seemed to be way more comfortable in just this crazy uber tropical climate than I was just sweating my ass off and getting bitten and whatever. But yeah, I mean, overall, I thought she had an amazing attitude, especially coming off of being bedridden for a full entire week. Like, I mean, it really was this crazy success story that seemed to be just totally overshadowed by how the trip ended. Chris, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it answers my question and others. <laughs> I guess it, instead of my other question, you know, I think it's just good that we can have this discussion now, even though maybe it's something that should have happened 13 months ago before we could uh, let it simmer, could, <laughs> could fester a bit. Put, could put on the river, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, before we put on, yeah. Conversations like these, they don't have immediate tidy resolutions. You don't get a do-over to go back in time and unhurt someone's feelings. But if you're lucky enough to have a partner who's willing, you do get to try and figure out how to do it differently the next time. Okay, I have a question for both of you. What advice do you have for someone else to avoid winding up in a similar situation or with a similar shitty group dynamic that the two of you wound up with? Be open to thinking about why you're reacting a certain way to what somebody else is doing or what somebody else is saying and where the roots of that reaction are and if they're relatable at all or if that is something that you shouldn't bring to the table in that particular discussion. And that's really hard to do when you're emotionally wound up in something that's already happening. You know, if we could have sat down and talked about any or all of it before it turned into a conflict and be able to show up to it and be emotionally available for it, then I think most of 
what happened could have been avoided. So trying to recognize when something like that is starting is huge in avoiding conflict. I think that's my advice. I like Chris's broad strokes because, I mean, if we started nitpicking the minutiae, there's a lot of different things you could say. But I would say, as I was listening to Chris talk about communication, I was thinking about an old adage, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I was just thinking that in this particular case, it was really more apt that we were only as strong as our weakest relationship, the weakest connection between paddlers. Something to pay close attention to are the relationships that aren't getting developed and the communication that maybe isn't happening. And a different perspective on just Chris and my relation, which is actually, it feels like our relationship was so strong that maybe why the group didn't split up in the first place is because he cared enough not to split up from us or that the whole reason why we're rehashing this 13 months later is because we both care so much. facilitating Jen appreciate it I feel like you can probably we'll probably expect to see a bill from you in the mail <laughs> this is gonna be it's gonna be expensive but it's been worth every penny <laughs> the moon so heavy yeah, the moon so low The Diaries is made possible by the good people at Patagonia who wants you to know that all dams are dirty, and so is the hydropower they create. Hydropower is the only renewable energy source sending species to extinction, displacing people globally, and contributing to climate change. Learn more about the damn truth and how you can help at blueheart.patagonia.com. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks, the little company who believed they could build a better bike rack, and did. Check out their lineup of sturdy, easy-to-use, good-looking roof racks and hitch racks at kuatracks.com. Support for the show also comes from Vossen Brewing. Vossen is turning one year old, and they want you to come celebrate. If you're in the Richmond area, be sure to swing by Saturday, July 28th for beer, cider, and live music from local bands. Learn more and snag tickets at vossenbrewing.com slash anniversary. You, our listeners, you keep the diaries thriving. To pledge your support to the show, go to dirtbagdiaries.com. Thank you so much to everyone who has already donated. A huge thank you to Ben and Chris for sharing what we realized was not an easy story, and to Jesse Rice and Jules Domine for helping us fact-check this piece. Here's to many more less eventful expeditions in the future. Music today from Hopeless Jack, Jacob Bain, and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Jen Altschul and me, Fitz Cahal. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. You've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, hey, hey.